I just, I think it's when we focus on being one with each other, it seems like an easier task to focus on that than to be one with God, because that takes some real inner change. Well, yeah, I mean, God is asking us to have his mind in us. In other words, our will and our mind, our thoughts and our feelings, everything is eclipsed by him because we submit it to him. And so if you did that with a human, if you submitted your will, for example, to your wife, then you would have a really unhappy, a really un unhealthy marriage because your will, you would have no decisions. You would have no part in the relationship. She would just control everything and, and you'd be out of balance. Welcome back to Restore Gospel Podcast. We're friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Shane, over the years in the church, there's been a lot of talk about being one. There's one scripture, uh, especially in the Doctrine and Covenants, um, that we've heard a lot over the years. I'm going to bring it up here. Let's try this. Um Section 38 is a very popular scripture, and I don't know, I'm sure you've heard it too growing up in a church, but uh, many times I've heard the minister or the class teacher say, if you're not one, you're not mine. We need to be one with each other. Um, and most recently, there's been a lot of talk in the revelation given about being one and breaking down barriers between us, between different groups and factions. So what do you think about this, this idea of being one is it a good idea to try to be one with with each other to try to separate and get rid of our barriers that divide us or is that even what the scripture is saying um that's not how i interpret scripture what it's saying um it, it, there's a lot of examples uh, in the scripture that what when we when god talks about being one it's about being one with him um being one with each other is a, would be a natural fruit of being one with him but if we don't have the oneness with him first then we're not going to be one with each other. Um, one, one example that I think is really good is, is, and this is maybe cliche example, but, but tuning pianos, you know, you always tune a piano to a, to a source, like a computerized tuner or, a, you know, a, a manual tuner. That's, that's a baseline. Um, if you had a hundred pianos and you were going to tune all hundred pianos, you wouldn't tune them off of the last one you just tuned because there's going to be slight imperfections. And, you know, eventually by the time you get to the last one, they're going to be so far off. They won't even, they'll be, they'll be clashy and sound horrible. So you tune every piano off of the source. Um, and so our, our focus on sort of, you know, we've been hearing this over and over, put aside our differences, you know, find our common ground and, you know, let's all just be friends and be one and all that. And then we use this scripture to back that up. That it's out of context and it's, it's actually would be very devastating to the to the gospel to if we just did that without let me, let me read it out loud okay yeah. let's just read out loud what it says section 38 5d because i i forget that this is also just audio only so if you are listening audio only you can you can pull this up on youtube but um again i say unto you let every man esteem his brother as himself for what man among you having 12 sons and is no respecter of them 
and they serve him obediently. And he saith unto the one, Be thou clothed in robes, and sit thou here. And to the other, Be thou clothed in rags, and sit thou there. And looketh upon his sons, and saith, I am just. Behold, this I have given unto you a parable, and it is even as I am. I say unto you, Be one. And if ye are not one, ye are not mine. And that's the last sentence there that's usually just quoted and used uh, to motivate us, right, to get along. Um, and it starts out with a great doctrine, uh, let every man esteem his brother as himself. That's that's part of the great commandment, right? Love one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I feel like that last sentence, though, is even kind of being taken out of context. And before people think we're just mincing words or, 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 or you know, discussing something that doesn't we're just picking on, you know, just a minute detail. I think it's a very subtle shift that leads to very bad fruit in the end. This idea of focusing on being one with each other. Right. And people hear that and they might think that's crazy. What, what you, so you don't think we should get along. You don't think we should be, try to be one. And right. um, I think, yes, that's exactly what, what I'm saying and what the scriptures teach, I believe, and that Satan wants us to focus on that, even though it seems good on the surface. Right. Yeah, I mean, so let's use you you and I as an example. <clears throat> so, you know, we decide that we want to be one. Well, we're two different people. We're, we have different backgrounds. We have different thought processes. We have, you know, and I can, in order for you and I to get along in every single topic, one of us would have to give up things that we hold dear and the only way for you and I to have truly have no contention among us and, and think and move as one body would be if we could agree on a baseline. Well, whose baseline do we agree on? Your baseline or my baseline? Or do we find some baseline in the middle <laughs> that, that doesn't even exist right now? You know, and so really the only true source of a, a true baseline that has any eternal value is God. So you work with becoming one with God. I work on becoming one with God. And once we once we attain that oneness, once we are truly with him and his thoughts are our thoughts. And, you know, like the scripture says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. As soon as you have that, as soon as his mind is your mind, then then you and I have by default have the same mind because we have the mind of Christ. But trying to do it any other way is going to lead to absolute failure and groupthink and everything else. I mean, anytime it's ever been tried in the past, it has failed. I mean, you, you brought up. The- <clears throat> oh, yeah, sorry. Gonna, uh, just look at David and and King David. You know, they, the people of Israel, they were of one heart and one mind when it came to having a king. You know, and, and look what happened to them. I mean, they they were not putting God first. They were putting their own desires first, and they got what they wanted. God gave them over to that sin, and they they paid dearly for it. You know. <clears throat> You were brought up, um, you kind of started listening to the podcast when I had uh, a friend of yours that you had grown up with, John Tandy was on, a friend of mine, and we were discussing eternal life, specifically section 76 and the Doctrine and Covenants. And you you brought up the fact that in the end, you know, he, he didn't come to believe what I thought the scripture was saying. I certainly didn't believe what I thought he was saying and, and the typical teaching of the church. And we we basically just came to the question, you know, to the point, well, can we still go out and minister as brothers to others? And I think we agreed we could, you know, that we wouldn't start with that doctrine. If you're trying to teach someone in prison about Jesus, who's never had a relationship with him, 
But eventually, that's a very important part of the story, God's right. plan for us and where we end up. And so we <clears throat> we just we're not going to be able to agree on that. So how do we become one? Right. And we we don't. So we have we have these uh, you know services where different congregations come together and worship, and that's that's great. I mean, we just had a revival weekend. People come and preach. That's wonderful. And you leave there feeling good that, well, we've, we've worshiped with other people. But it, what does it matter if the person you're worshiping, you're not one with that person? It's all for not. It makes you feel good. I just, I think it's when we focus on being one with each other, it seems like an easier task to focus on that than to be one with God, because that takes some real inner change. Right. Well, I think, I think the issue here, you just, you just touched on it as about feelings. You know, we can emotionally become one in any given instance. The, the, like when you go to a, a reunion, you know, or, or a youth camp or something like that, that final campfire where everyone is, you know, they're getting ready to say goodbye and the emotions <clears throat> are running high and, you know, they're, they're, they're excited about their experiences they had, or they're, you know, they had a great time, great week. They're, you know, they're super excited. Maybe there's people there that are convicted, going to make some changes. The emotions are running high. And in that moment, you're one, you know, you're, you're excited. You're, you're always crying and, you know, you're one emotionally, but then what happens afterwards? Do we see a mighty change? Does the whole body change and become righteous? And there might be individuals that had an, a, their own experience, but you know, it, it's an emotional roller coaster and, and, and not to, this is not cutting down camp or anything like that. It's just saying that we could become one emotionally fairly easy. You know, we could go to the same, watch the same movie and come out of it and arm in arm. And, oh, that was just beautiful, Mike, you know, and, but yet you might have completely different thoughts on, you know, or you may be in a completely different place in your spiritual life than I am. And, and we can't be one in anything else, but we can agree on that movie. Right. And it's not, it's not lasting. You know, if that right. camp would go on for three weeks or a month, you're going to, you're going to have differences. Uh, right. You can move in a direction for a period of time. Uh, we've seen that in the restoration, <laughs> but eventually there's going to be differences. But it's a uh, this is so important. This this topic, this thought process is so important because the adversary just diverts it just a little bit and it sounds good. And yet it takes us away from what our God intended for us and what he laid out in the scriptures. And by doing that, we remain where we're at. And I see my fear is that that's going to happen once again with this new information that's recently come out, that people are going to be spending time focusing on how do we tear down barriers and how do we come together. And it's like, you can come together for anything you want, but if you're not worshiping the God in spirit and truth, then it doesn't matter. No matter how, how often you gather together or what kind of organizations you make or you know, what, what type of city you, you strive to build. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're not one with God, because that's what he declares in his word has to happen. And we can't continually put the focus off of that into how are we going to build Zion? I, I wish I'd never heard that phrase again. I don't want to hear the phrase, how do we build Zion until the question and has been answered. How do we become one with God? And are we one with God? Like he spelled out. Then right. we can talk about, you know, building a city. You said something saying about you don't you don't teach 
it's like this. Uh, you want to teach a, a, a young person to perform surgery. Um, instead of, instead of, uh, getting them out of kindergarten i'm trying to share my screen here it's not working you know what right. i mean yeah you would never go to your five-year-old and say all right i want here's a scalpel now start getting ready you're going to be start performing surgery pretty soon you know and you go the next right. day and say well are you ready you're not ready well what's the deal aren't you ready you're supposed to be ready for this you know yeah, that's a good yeah it's, <laughs> you had brought up you know focusing focusing on oneness and gathering and zion is a distraction from actually attaining these things explain that right, right. The, yeah well he, and this is a trick of satan is, is he can if you know it feels like you're 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 being a believer because you're talking about things that are important you know and so you're focusing on a fruit that must be obtained but yet not taking the steps necessary to attain that fruit so like the child, he's obviously get you, you know, as a parent, you're not going to talk about his surgery. He's going to perform. You're going to talk about getting past kindergarten, you know? And so you take them one step at a time. That's what God does with us. He takes us one step at a time. And that's why the priesthood, you know, have been told and commanded to preach nothing but repentance. That's the only thing we can preach. You know, we've got to tell that five-year-old to get, you know, get busy doing his homework and, and get ready to go to first grade, you know, it, it, and that's where we are spiritually. We as a church have been focused on these, these end goals without, you know, I'm not saying we, we, no one ever talks about it, but repentance, you know, there've been revelations that come out even, even, even one recently that doesn't even mention repentance. It's all about, you know, Zion and oneness and, you know, coming together and putting aside differences and all being friends and, you know, letting go of your, of your, priesthood office that you maybe were called to that other people don't accept and kind of those kind of things with no mention of the true sacrifice that must be brought. And that's of a broken heart and a contrite spirit and truly repenting. And, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't, shouldn't look forward to those things. Those are beautiful things, but it'd be the same as if, uh, if I said, Hey, Mike, uh, your neighbor is, uh, your neighbor's sick. Why don't you go over there and heal her? You know, I mean, so there's a lot of problems with that with that statement. One, I don't know where you are spiritually. You know, you've got to get yourself right with God. We don't know where the, where the neighbor is spiritually. There's all kinds of underlying issues with that. That doesn't mean you couldn't heal or, you know, God couldn't use you to heal someone, but there's no point if your life's not straight with God, there's no, there's no reason to even consider or even think about those kind of things. If you don't have the, the, the underlying steps necessary to attain the goal. Otherwise, right. you're just spinning your you're just spinning your wheels and frustrated. And that's what and that's what this says here. Focus on oneness, gathering Zion. By focusing on how are we going to build Zion, we're being distracted from actually obtaining Zion. That's right. that's a conundrum, and I, we have to realize that uh, as soon as Sidney Rigdon read the Book of Mormon. And think about this for a minute. The concept of Zion and, and being one, one heart, one mind, they never would have had that idea had they not translated the Book of Mormon because that's where we get the foundation for a Zion, a new Jerusalem that's, that's promised to the inhabitants of this land way before us. That, it didn't come from the Doctrine and Covenants, although it, it did after. It certainly morphed into something. But the original thought process for a new Jerusalem, for a Zion on this land, 
is from the Book of Mormon. And so Joseph translated the Book of Mormon. Sidney Rigdon read it. He left Ohio to go to New York to meet Joseph. And he had a problem saying, you know, your priesthood, they don't have enough power. They're not healing. They're not doing these things. And the next thing you know, a revelation comes. We're moving the church to Kirtland. And we go to Kirtland, and Sidney Rigdon <clears throat> had a bunch of followers there. They were already living in a commune together, all as, as quote, one on a farm. And the next thing you know, this idea of Zion takes off, and it's the only focus. It's, it's the right. focus. Build Zion. You can read the journals of men going out and what they're preaching. Repent and come to Zion. And they base their success on how many families they thought would move to where the church was headquartered that was their success that was their determination i think you know they would they would talk about it i think so and so is going to move to zion and that was the goal right and so this idea of being one the doctrine of the book of mormon that teaches us how to become one with god and how to live our life and come unto christ is set aside for an idea and so by focusing on zion we are never going to have the tools we need to actually be allowed to be there Right. Right. Well, and that just to give a little background on that, Dr. Kevin's 38, um, that revelation was given at Fayette, New York. And that was part that part of that was part of this commandment for them to gather uh, to Ohio. So that that that's when that was given. Um, oh, yeah. Just, share, share that background of, of that scripture. It was given in New York. Yeah, it was given in Fayette, New York. Um, it came. uh it, it, there was a revelation given in December on December 30th of 1830, um, telling them to gather to Ohio, uh, and they called it the gathering. It, um, so we're then, just talking uh, like you know, seven, just like six, seven, eight months after the church was organized, April 6th, mm -hmm. and then in December of that year, the revelation comes to move, right? Yep, told them to gather to Ohio, and then on January 2nd, so it was only uh, three days later, uh, in 1831. Uh, that's when this one came out, this section 38. Um, and it, it was, it was a call to gather as well. And it was uh, promising the members that, that they would receive the endowment in Ohio, that, that, that was when that was why they were to gather. And there was actually quite a bit of pushback on it. Um, a lot of the people there, they didn't want to move. Um, they felt, you know, there was actually some accusations against Joseph that he was, you know, trying to do it for gain, I don't know, to buy cheap property or, or whatever, and not necessarily a revelation from God. Um, the people all got together and fasted and prayed about it and decided as a group that they would go ahead and do it. Um, and, and they actually, so Newell Knight um, in his uh, journal made a comment about this revelation. And he, this is a quote, he says, we were instructed as a people to begin the gathering of Israel. And a revelation was given to the prophet on this subject. And so um, they saw it as they saw it as the gathering. It was the gathering of Israel, even though it was a bunch of Gentiles <laughs> um, that they saw it as the, the gathering of Israel. Um, and, and they were gathering, you know, a lot of the people were gathering under that premise that they were going to Ohio to to build Zion and to receive the endowment. And it was the start of the gathering. All right. Even though it was going to be moved again. Well, sure. yeah. And, and the Book of Mormon is so clear on, on the gathering. The, the gathering is will happen by the Lord using the Lamanites, using the, the seed of Lehi to gather the, the, the uh, house of Israel. And the Gentiles will assist in that work. 
And yet here you have a whole group of just pure Gentiles talking about gathering and, you know, doing it all completely wrong. Again, focusing on the goal rather than focusing on, you know, learning the Book of Mormon, getting their spiritual life straight with God, having all the fruits of the spirit that they 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 put they shot overshot by focusing on this final goal and instead of the what needs to happen before any of that can happen. They got out right. of order on the inner man. So yeah. it, it, we got to be clear. We could go down a hundred rabbit trails here, but we're going to get, we're, we're going to hit very closely here. We're going to start into this being one, but as far as the Gentiles go, I realize most people in the church think they're from the, the house of Israel. As far as Joseph um, coming down through Ephraim instead of Manasseh. And so we would say we, we are the house of Israel, but it's very clear that maybe you have some blood of Ephraim, maybe you don't, but we're talking a spiritual, that would, that would be a spiritual type of lineage. But from the book of Mormon perspective, we are Gentiles. It, it's very clear that the gospel would come back to them, the, the house of Lehi seed, Manasseh, Joseph, it would come back to them through the Gentile. It says that on the title page, it would come by way of Gentile, Joseph right. Smith, those followers were Gentiles as far as the prophecies and things in the Book of Mormon. Um, and then it says that they'll reject it, or if they reject it, what would happen? And usually when God says, if you do, then it normally happens that way. So um, anyway, yeah, so Gentiles were trying to, to the focus was on being one from the get-go and moving to Zion. And, and so we're going to see why that's, out of line. So take, what, what are your thoughts, Shane? Let's, let's start talking right, right specifically being one. Well, um, well, before we do that, I just want to mention one other thing. Um, so Lucy Mack also made a comment about this gathering in Ohio. Uh, she said, this is a quote from her, a letter she sent to her brother, uh, Solomon Mack. Uh, it said, and there was a lead up to it, but then the, the part I'm going to quote just said, come and reign on earth with them a thousand years. So, they were they were expecting the gathering Zion everything a millennial reign at least she was um, to happen in Ohio um, and then of course that changed you know over time right but yeah so so as far as the 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 oneness thing the other scripture the other quote that we hear a lot is is in John um, where Jesus was praying for us um, that we would become one and, and and I think that one is another one that's been taken out of context. I'll read that out loud. It's John 17, starting in verse 20. It says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So he's saying, I'm not praying just for these disciples. I'm also praying for everyone else that they're going to preach to. That they, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. And that's the key. That's the part that doesn't get quoted. It's in us, in him, not one with each other, one with God, um, that they, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory, which gave us, gave us me, which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. And so again, the focus is, is if we're thinking of putting aside differences and, and throwing away beliefs and, you know, embracing each other on some kind of standard, that's not Jesus, then we're going to fail. It, it's pretty clear. Um, 
Yeah, and, and uh, uh, Third Nephi, Jesus and Third Nephi. Do you have that scripture anywhere? That's uh, uh, he's very clear about it's the Father in Jesus and Jesus in us. That that's how it's laid out. You know, Jesus is praying to the Father that He can be in us just as the Father is in Him, and so it's one straight line to our eternal God. Yeah, I do have. Let's see, it's I've okay if you know it's. Not- That's all right. Yeah, I don't think it's the same one, but anyway, um, but yeah, there's lots of places where, where we could talk about this. Um, another one that I really like is, is in, uh, in Alma, um, <clears throat> Alma three, starting in verse 27. Right. Um, and yeah, let's and I, what I like about this one is that it's addressed to the church. So it's not just a generic scripture that doesn't really tell you who it's to. It's, it's to the church. It's not to the non-believers. And uh, are you going to pull that up? You want me to go ahead and start reading it? Oh, go ahead and start reading it. Yeah. Okay. And now behold, I ask of you, my brethren of the church, have you spiritually been born of God? And I, and I love how he uses the Socratic method here. He's, he's getting you to think and answer the question for yourself. He says, have you, have you spiritually been born of God? Have you received his image in your countenances? And that's so, you know, when God created us, we were created in his image. So we were created with his personality traits, his, you know, all the things that are, are part of God are in us because of the creation. Um, it's not, you know, a lot of times you hear that quoted and we talk about that we looked like him with hands and feet and toes and all that. But when it talks about the image, when you look at the original words, it's talking about the character of God. We were made in his image and his character. And so we have the ability to be creative and to love and to, you know, all those beautiful things that he can do, we can do too if we have a spirit with us. And so we were created in his image, but then through sin, we, we became filthy and we became the natural man and we got, were thrown out. Um, and so that's the goal here is to get us back where his image is back in us, where you can see who he created us to be and not who we've chosen to be. And that's really the, that's the key here. But so this scripture says, have you received his image in your countenances? Have you experienced this mighty change in your hearts? You know, and I think every single person has got to ask, ask yourself, have I received a mighty change in my heart? Or did I just get baptized at eight? Did I just grow up in a church? And it's just what we do on Sunday and Wednesday. And there's, you know, it's just life. Or have we experienced a mighty change? Because that's what has to happen. Do you exercise faith in the redemption of him who created you? Do you look forward with an eye of faith and view this mortal body raised in immortality and this corruption raised in incorruption to stand before God to be judged according to the deeds which have been done in the mortal body? I say unto you, can you imagine to yourselves that ye hear the voice of the Lord saying unto you in that day, Come unto me, ye blessed, for behold, your works have been the works of righteousness upon the face of the earth? Or do you imagine to yourselves that you can lie unto the Lord in that day and say, Lord, our works have been righteous, righteous works upon the face of the earth, and that he will save you? Or otherwise, can you imagine yourselves brought before the tribunal of God with your souls filled with guilt and remorse, having the remembrance of all your guilt? Yea, a perfect remembrance of all your wickedness. Yea, a remembrance that you have set at defiance the commands of God. And so... If we're going to put stuff away, if we're going to set aside doctrines and beliefs and things that 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 we disagree on, like say you and I, we decide we are going to become one, 
there could be doctrines or understandings or things that that I don't agree with. And in, for, in order for me to become one with you, I'm going to have to let, let those go, you know, and same for you. And, but yet we're going to go before that tribunal of God at the last day and are going to say, did I embrace you fully? Did I, did I accept your gospel in its fullness? Did I, was I faithful to you until the end? And I'm going to have to say, well, I set some of that aside. So Mike and I could be one. I mean, that's, that's not the goal. That's not the plan of God. Um, no, the goal like we said earlier, it's, it's, it feels good. And it feels like we're making progress when we can gather together as separate congregations in one building or one gymnasium and have a worship service and have people preach from different congregations or even from different factions of the restoration. We feel like that's progress and that that should feel good to us. And, and as you're pointing out here, no, that's, that's, that's the wrong Avenue. That's, that's a great Avenue. If, these other things are having precedence and being taught and taking place, right? If we're having his image and people's hearts are being changed and you can see Jesus in each other, then we're going to come together and worship and it'll be a beautiful thing. But when you overshoot that, just to feel like you're making progress, you're, you're never going to get what you want to obtain. Right. Well, every scripture reference that I've, <clears throat> that I've found, about putting away contention is always tied to repentance. <clears throat> so if I repent of my sins and, and, you know, focus my life on getting myself straight with God, then I'm not going to be a contentious person. I'm not going to be angry and bitter and, and, you know, put my, you know, put a stake in the ground and, and not be willing to, to talk to people and share with people. Um, and if you do the same, you put the gospel first, you put God first, you put truth first and, you know, and your own will is, is gone, is eclipsed by the power of God. Then we're not going to have contention. We're going to have love. We're going to, in areas that we don't understand, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and look for understanding. You know, we're not, you're not just going to submit to me and do what I say or vice versa. We're going to both go together to God because we want the same thing. That's the only way the contention goes away. Um, as long as anybody has a will or a desire or a natural man that's still running the show, it's still, that'll never go away. Right. And that's, what's beautiful about the book of Mormon is it's such a baseline as far as scripture wise. Um, but even the book of Mormon can't solve everything. The, the, what has to solve everything is the spirit of God. Um, and, and our own relationship with him through, through our, through our repentance. Here's that scripture in third Nephi where Jesus is praying and they're praying to Jesus. And he says, and now father, I pray unto thee for them and also for all those who shall believe on their words that they may believe in me and that I may be in them as thou father art in me that we may be one. I think that's very clear that I may be in them as thou art in me and that we may be one, meaning the father, Jesus, us, the Holy spirit, all one. And that that's important because so I, I had this little, epiphany driving this week who's the closest person in the world to you shane uh my wife i'm glad you answered that an awkward <laughs> she's an in awkward the other room i, I gotta, I gotta say the right thing. <laughs> she brought it together <laughs> yeah your wife right because we have we have uh scriptures that talk about the two shall become one flesh um it says right here, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, 
and the twain shall be one flesh. They are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Popular wedding scripture, right? So two people become one flesh. The woman was taken out of Adam. He was split apart. The woman became out of Adam. And when man and women make that covenant, they're joined together as one flesh. There's all kinds of analogies we won't go into between that and the church. But as I was thinking this week, there's one, it, it, as close as I am to my wife, I can have a conversation with her and I can never feel what she's feeling. She can describe to me her emotions. She can tell me her experiences. We can watch a movie and she can be responding to that movie in a certain way and I can be responding to it, but I can't ever uh, understand her thought process I can't understand her thoughts. I don't know how she's thinking. I don't know how those thoughts are making her feel on the inner man. I don't know her her feeling of sadness over sin other than through the clumsy words that come out of our mouth and go into our ears. That's the only way we have to experience each other. But there is a unique, completely unique relationship that can only be experienced one way, and that is that Jesus can be in me. So I can understand the love God has for man. I can feel his emotions for man. I can feel his intelligence, right? I can understand his intelligence, his truth, in a way that I can never do with any other human being. It's a very unique relationship, and each one of us can actually experience who God is on the inner man. And we can't do that with any other human being. That was eye opening to me. Um, It's simple. It's a simple thought, but I have never really pondered on that, that I can only get so close to another human being. And hopefully that's my wife and, and that's the closest relationship I have. But even my wife and I are, are there, there is a, a border, right? There's a boundary that, we, we will never cross that we can't. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, God is asking us to have his mind in us. In other words, our will and our mind, our thoughts and our feelings, everything is eclipsed by him because we submit it to him. And so if you did that with a human, if you submitted your will, for example, to your wife, then you would have a really unhappy, a really un- unhealthy marriage because your will, you would have no decisions you would have no part in the relationship she would just control everything and and you'd be out of balance but with god it's different because he's perfect you know if if you try to do that with someone imperfect it's it's a disaster it's a cult (laughs) but with god it's not that way with god he is he is pure love he is pure sacrifice and he is perfect in every way so by submitting myself to god and allowing his spirit to come in me and eclipse who i am you know, not who I am necessarily, but eclipse my thoughts and my feelings and my, my, you know, my everything about me, then his character becomes my character. And I begin loving like him. I begin thinking like him, you know, and not like a, not like a mindless drone, but rather <clears throat> I become who he made me to be. You know, he, he takes my gifts and talents and they be, they blossom into what God made them to become. Um, and then truly people can truly be ministered to. Otherwise, if I if I put sprinkle myself in, we always tell our kids, you know, sin is kind of like take a glass of water and it's pure and clean, and and then sprinkle a 
one little tiny bit of dirt in it or one little, we always use dog poop, but <laughs> sprinkle a little bit of that in there. Are you going to drink it? <laughs> we send your son out back. Son, go get the dog poop. It's time for our scripture lesson. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, of course you say, would you drink that? They'd be like, no way. But right. it's mostly all pure. It's only just got a tiny little bit of, of dog, uh, dog doo-doo in there, you know, but it's enough to say, no, I, I, I'm not drinking that. And that's, <clears throat> and that's how it is with two humans. There's there, we are not perfect. We have natural man. It rises up. You know, it's the natural man is an enemy to God. It says it clearly in the book of Mormon, we're an enemy to God. And it says that we will be forever, you know? And so that, that natural desire, those natural emotions and the thought processes of a human being are, are detrimental. And so for you and I to become one with each other, and we don't, we don't make God that what make this God, the center of the oneness, you and I just become one together and because we just decide to get along and be buddies, <clears throat> we, uh, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And right. if you do that in a big group, man, you know, a hundred people, you're talking about group think and you know, the, the strongest rise up and control everybody else. And I mean, really, it's really super dangerous to have a church, to have a congregation of people is dangerous because it seems like, and it, we see it in our society, that 1%, of the darkest, evilest people run the show, <laughs> you know, because they're the ones that are willing to, they have no morals and they're willing to, you know, just put themselves out there and do it. And I mean, look at what's happening in our country. Think about, you know, what's happened in our, our government and politics and all that. And without going into that, I think most would agree that at least most listen to this podcast would agree that things are a mess. And it's because a small select few have risen up and done that. And that's the, that's the, uh, the doo-doo in the, in the water, if you will. Right. Um, but yeah. And I, I think our, it's preaching repentance is boring. You know, that's, I think that's really the issue. People are, don't want to hear that. People want to hear about Zion and building cities and the gathering and the Christ return and all these amazing, beautiful concepts. People don't want to hear, you got to get your life straightened out. You got to put away your bad habits. You got to spend more time in prayer and fasting and study and, spend time with God. That's, it's boring. And that's, and people don't want that. That's, and that's really the issue here. And when you hear those, when you hear those requests or those instructions, even our idea of doing that is so far below the holiness of God and his idea of what that means that we, we have to allow him in us to rise us up, to even understand. Um, We don't know how, how far off we are. And he's, he's merciful in that. And he's patient, mm-hmm. but those those words of repentance, they they hardly go any easier than surface level, and and things pop up in our mind that yeah I need to pray more and fast more, and it's like, man, you have to be washed by the fire of our Almighty God and Creator, and have His Spirit reside in you, and that's a dangerous thing, that's a consuming thing, right? It's not, it's playing with fire, it's it's playing with holy holiness you guys we're <laughs> well going into the presence of god is a fearful fearful thing it's played out in scriptures it's set up that way we and, and so he has to he has to be within us to help us along so that we're not destroyed by his holiness and and that right. comes by submitting but yeah this this idea of one 
so if God's going to speak to his people, because we, we believe in gifts of prophecy and revelation, if, if God's continually speaking to us and reminding us that we need to get along and we need to prepare for the gathering and we need to build Zion and we need to, you know, get into our stewardship of Zion and don't forget about our goal. If that's what God's reminding us of, I just, I don't think that's God. I think that's man's desires because God would be, God's concerned with our relationship with him and each other. And he's going to tell us what we need to get us right. I mean, his, and and the words in his, in his book, in his scripture, speak this to us. He is speaking to us through those things. Right. Well, that recent revelation that we're uh, referencing, there's a phrase that says, uh, many of you have lost faith in the church. Excuse me a minute. Sorry. Um, Yeah, that we've lost faith in the church and our faith isn't in the church. It should never have been in the church. And I've heard for years people talk about being converted to the church and our faith is in Christ. Yeah, it, there is a. It says, uh, you know, the the older generation and the young people have lost hope, and have lost their hope in the church. So, mm-hmm. if if that hope was lost, I mean, does God ever tell us to lose hope in Him? Like, hey guys, I'm having an off week, so I, you know, ease up on the hope and faith because I'm not sure I can come through this week, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, I understand. You know, everybody step back for a minute. No. There's never a loss of hope. There's never a loss of faith or anticipation of great joy if it's placed in him. So the fact that people have lost hope, why do we try to bring them back to the thing they lost hope in by building that thing back up and get it operating correctly just so that right. it can fall apart again and everybody loses hope again? Right. The message and the, the, the message and the, the message that should be preached from all ministers in Christ right now is is let's go to where we will never lose hope again. And let's get that relationship of being one with our father and his son, Jesus Christ, him living in us will never, ever lose hope. Yeah. yeah you mentioned, uh, <clears throat> you mentioned the coming before God is a fearful thing. And, you know, it, when I was thinking about the, the two sons of Aaron, you know, God set up the Holy of Holies and the, the temple and all that for them in the tent uh, with the, with the ark and told them how to do the law, how to perform the law of Moses. And, and of course they had that law because they were hard hearted and wouldn't come to God <clears> personally. And so it gave them a law. They had to, you know, strict law. They had to follow ordinances. And so they, uh, <clears throat> they came to God haphazardly. They kind of did it on their own. They weren't, they weren't doing it the way he told them. They were just doing it haphazardly. And the, and the, the two sons of Aaron go into the tent where the Holy Holies is and they fall dead. Right on the ground is boom, both sons dead. You know what a what a wake up call for Aaron. You know he just lost his two sons, and and the reason he lost them was because they didn't go before God the way he had told them to come before God. And so now, now we have uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit because when Christ died, the temple, the veil was rent in the temple, and the holy of holies was now placed inside of each of us. So you have your Holy of Holies in your heart. I have my heart um, where the Holy of Holies is and his spirit dwells there. He's no longer in a, a, a house made up, made by man. He's in a house uh, made by him through his creation. And so when we pray and we fast and we study and we talk about the gospel and we, 
anything to do with this this gospel that he's given us we have to do it with <clears throat> with a, a sound mind and you know to come before him in, in humility and the way he's at way he's commanded us to he's told us to clearly preach nothing but repentance and that is what we should be preaching if we're talking about anything else besides that about besides coming to him with a broken heart giving you know that's the sacrifice we no longer sacrifice lambs we now sacrifice our broken hearts because the lamb was already provided. And so we come before him with that broken heart and contrary spirit. That should be our only message. That that's that is the job of the priesthood. If there's if there's any priesthood today with any authority whatsoever from God, the the that message, their job is to get that message out to the people. Repent, repent, repent. Every prophet that ever walked the earth, that was their job. Call the people to repentance. And it hasn't changed. And we still find ourselves chasing after the end goal rather than repenting so that the Lord can show us the way. You know, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We're not going to come to by the Father through each other or through an organization. It's only going to be through Jesus Christ. And, and some of that sounds so cliche because we, we hear these kind of phrases all the time. But the fact of the matter is, is we have to have a true day-to-day relationship with him, speaking to him, listening to him, repenting of our sins, eliminating things out of our lives. And if we're not doing that, then it doesn't matter about where we, who, who baptized us or who our family is or where we live or, or what race we are or what country we grew up in or, or what we believe. None of that matters at all if we don't have that relationship with him. Yeah, another subtle uh, danger is, as you said, focusing on the fruit rather than how you get the fruit. It's like, it's like Corey talked about one time how they transplanted a bunch of trees, uh, full-grown trees, and then re, 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 repopulated the yard. And at the end of it, the guy's like, "Yeah, only like you know, ten percent of these ever survived anyway." <laughs> you you want to? We want to take the fruit of a full-grown tree without raising it up, nourishing it, nourishing the soil through the process that we need to do. We we but we focus on that fruit. You know, it's like sitting around with your family, like, I can't wait to have fresh apples, you know, but you haven't even number one planted an apple tree yet, but I can't wait for we get those apples off the tree. Well, what tree dad? Oh yeah. Let's go get a seed, throw it in the ground and you don't do anything with it. I can't wait for those apples to come out. It's like, dad, it hasn't even sprouted yet. How are we going to get apples? Oh, they'll be there. We'll we'll partake of it. Right. I got a recipe here. I looked up this week for apple pie. Can't wait to bake apple pie. (laughs) <laughs> there's no sprout coming out of the ground right right but we all we all share our, our favorite recipe for apple pie and it's like we haven't done anything to grow the grow the tree so we like to focus on the fruit which is the gathering zion living in a safe place you know having jesus among us right but what's the process of of getting that fruit yeah it's, yeah we're i think we're stuck with when i grew up syndrome you know, when I grow up someday, I'm going to be an astronaut or when I grow up, I'm going to be a fireman or, you know, whatever, whatever we thought of as a kid was cool. Mm-hmm. But yet if we don't, if we don't go to, you know, learn math and, and, and sciences and, and work our way up and, and then, you know, go to the, go to the air force and become a, you know, become a, a air force pilot and, and then get into NASA's program. I mean, there's a lot of steps to become an astronaut, you know, or, a, you know, maybe not as much to be a fireman, but, you know, we, uh, there's always a step. There's always steps in a process and we can't ignore the process. We're never going to see the final result. if We don't start the process immediately. Yeah. 
Well, it is. It's a lot, like you said, a lot, a lot easier, a lot more enjoyable to talk about the fruit and what it's going to be like to partake of the fruit. But hard work needs to be done first. Well, what else right. you got on on being one? I... Well, what I mean, this is kind of. I guess it doesn't really have. It, it isn't like the center of this, but w- one thing that I that I noticed when I was studying about about oneness is that. You know, we talk about one heart and one mind, and I studied that phrase and trying to understand that. And it seems like the heart is always is always talking about your your understanding, your your softness, your love, your caring. It's all connected to the heart, and the mind is your logic and your vision and your and your under you know your understanding um, as far as your you know the logical mind. Um, and having those two, those both of them, you have to be of one heart and one mind. You know, so in other words, you're full of God's love, but you're also full of God's wisdom. And, you know, I think a lot of times we focus on maybe on the heart and we leave the, we leave the mind off or we focus on the mind, you know, like we logically try to say, like, for example, I remember when some of these churches were formed, um, uh, some of the faction groups that have formed out of, you know, the RLDS split, you, a lot of times their reasoning or when you, when they, when they presented why they were forming this new church, um, it was always this, we can do it because of this. And they went through a bullet pointed list of things of why, why it's okay to do Um, rather than there being any kind of confirming spirit there that, that this is what God wants. It was all about, well, we can do this because in church history, they did this and this and this and Dr. Covenant says that, and, you know, and therefore we can call 70 or or whatever, you know, it's sort of this logical appealing to the mind. And, um, we're supposed to have the mind of Christ, not, not the mind of each other. And and so trying to just logic our way into the, the kingdom or, or emotion our way into the kingdom through the heart, we have to have, we have to have one heart and one mind and it has to be God's heart and God's mind. And that's where we, we, we get out of whack. Um, I won't go too much into detail to that, but it's, a, it's an interesting study. If you study, if you look, if you Google or not Google, but like go to the restoration gospel, um, scripture search and look up minds and then look up hearts and you'll see how they often are together. It's interesting. Um, do study on um, what those actually mean when we, when we say one heart, one mind is again, a room full of a hundred people. We, we've got all kinds of ideas on mm-hmm. what that means. So it's good to look at a, a whole plethora of scripture to dial in. What, what does that really mean? Right. Yeah. It's, it gives you a fuller picture than just to cherry pick a few scriptures that fit what your what your what your agenda is and and throw them out there. Well, um, um, a lot of times when you're talking about hearts, you know, you talk about a soft heart, a broken heart, or a hard heart, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So the word heart in Hebrew was the word leb or labab, and it was related to the center of your personality or the seat of emotions. Um, so it's connected to your emotions, your desires, your feelings, your passions, uh, love. Um, that's that's the heart, and so our our heart has to be soft. We have to be open to the to the Holy Spirit. Um, and then the mind, the the Greek word for mind is diagnosis, dianois, which means uh, f- the faculty of understanding or thinking, logic. So the mind is connected very much to our will. So we're 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 submitting our will or our, our thoughts, our logic, our understanding, our intents, 
we're submitting that to God when we're, when we're of one heart and one mind. Um, one scripture that, uh, that I like, um, let me find it here. So this is in Philippians 2, 1 through 7. And he's, he's talking to the, the church there and he says, if there, be, if, there, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. So he's telling the people to be like, be like-minded, right? So you could say, well, that used to right there. He's telling them to be, be, you know, one with each other. But it says having the same love, being of one accord of one mind, right? So everybody needs to be on the same page. But then he says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So there's the key. We have, if we have the mind of Christ in us, then we will look out for each other. We'll look out for our brothers and sisters. It says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So he was in the made in the likeness of us, but we need to be made in the likeness of him um, by submitting to him. When you go into these scriptures, you, 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 I think you find over and over, he's talking about my mind, my heart, myself and you when it's yeah. connected to oneness. It's just it's just a simple diversion, but but it's where the focus needs to be whenever we talk about being one. It has to be brought up and pointed out. We're talking about entering into deeper covenant relationship with our creator. That's right. Uh, like we don't lose our individuality. We don't we don't lose the fact that maybe we see things differently, but but the key components is this overwhelming love for each other and for our God that died for us. And, and all those other things then aren't, I mean, I think it just becomes so obvious that we don't, they become trivial. So there is no contention or debate as that right. love starts to, to grow in us. Right. Yeah. So Mark, uh, Mark 12, uh, 34 through 36 says, and Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is hearken and hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. And thou shalt, so he is one, he is one God. He is God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. So see, there you see heart and mind together. Um, this is the first commandment. And the second is like this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So I believe these have to come in, in this order where we love God with all of our heart, might, mind, and strength, and he is in us. And then that gives us the ability to love our neighbor as ourself because you can't love is, is God. The source of love is God. And you can, you and I can't pr produce that on our own. It has to be the love of God in us. And there he's quoting, I believe Deuteronomy or the Shema, the, the great, that might not be the right word. I think it is close anyway. <laughs> that was the great two things that the, it was so important to the Israelites to pray every day. Those They were so aware of those two things. The Lord our God is one God. I mean, the, he, Jesus, the, they're quoting the, old, the great Old Testament laws. Right. 
And so we have the, a lot of references in the Book of Mormon to this heart and mind as well. Um, it said, this is out of Jerem 1, 3 through 7. For what could I write more than my fathers have written? For have not they revealed the plan of salvation? I say unto you, yea, and this sufficeth me. So he's saying, you know, everybody else before me has already laid it all out. So there's nothing else I can say. And then he says, behold, it is expedient that much should be done among this people because of the hardness of their hearts and the deafness of their ears and the blindness of their minds and the stiffness of their necks. And oftentimes the minds are connected to blindness. So vision mm. um, and the heart is connected is, is always either soft or hard. It's kind of interesting. And that, that plays plays out in all the, all throughout the scriptures. So is um, the heart and your attitude? Is it your, your, your approach, your attitude, your desire, it's your, your, yeah, will, your, your willingness. Yeah. It's your emotional center. It's your, it's where you love. It's where you your feelings and your, your desires, your um, kind of, it's almost like your personality, mm-hmm. you know, whereas your mind is more about your, your logic and your understanding and, and having vision and, you know, having seen the goal and that kind of thing. Um, so doctrine covenants three, you know, this was given through the Urim and Thummim says, and now, now behold, I say unto you, that because you delivered up those writings, which you had power given you to translate by the means of the Urim and Thummim into the hands of, of a wicked man, you have lost them. And you also lost your gift at the same time, and your mind became darkened. So there again, we see the mind having to do with vision, having be, became dark. He couldn't see. Um, God took away the gift. Nevertheless, it is now restored unto you again. Therefore, see that you are faithful and continue on to the finishing of the remainder of the work of translation as you have begun. Um, and then and then afterwards, once he enlightened him and, and the work continued, this is in Doctrine and Covenants 6, which was also given through the interpreters. Behold, thou knowest that thou hast inquired of me, and I did enlighten thy mind. So again, he gave him vision. And now I tell these things, that thou mayest know that thou hast been enlightened by the Spirit of truth. Yea, I tell thee that thou mayest know that there is none else save God, that knowest thy thoughts and intents of thy heart. Um, and, and there's a bunch more, and I won't take up all our time, but there's a lot. If you just do a, a search on it, you'll find that there's a lot of things that are tied into this, the idea of the of heart and, and the mind being together. Um, it's this one in um, Ether 1, uh, 111 and 112. Behold, when ye shall rend that veil of unbelief, which doth cause you to remain in your awful state of wickedness and hardness of heart and blindness of mind, then shall the great and marvelous things which have been hid up from the foundation of the world from you, yea, when ye shall call upon the Father in my name with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, then shall ye know that the Father hath remembered the covenant which he made unto you fathers, O house of Israel. That's that's putting the hardness of the heart, blindness of mind. So how does that how does that tie into being one, Shane? Well, so when it talks about that veil of unbelief, you know, I think we have a common misconception uh, in in the church, and we I think the idea is that if we got baptized and we believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet and that the scriptures are true, Book of Mormon's true, um, then then we're believers, we're good to go. We've we've made the covenant. We got baptized, and so we're believers. But the thing is, is that if we're not living our life 
in a daily act of repentance, prayer, study, fasting, drawing close to God, experimenting on our faith, really actively trying to move towards Him, if we're not doing that, then we're unbelievers. And it doesn't matter when we were baptized or how who baptized us or what church we were baptized into. None of those things matter. I mean, those were those happened at that time in your life, you know, and you may have may have or may not have been right with God, but all that matters is our emotion. Are we coming unto Christ? And so to, to, we, we read that sometimes and we think, oh, it's talking about unbelievers. Well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm in the church. And, and it actually does apply to us, you know, when we're not living our lives uh, according to his plan. Um, and so when it talks about when you shall rend that veil of unbelief, we shouldn't automatically think, oh, well, that, that's those other people. Or, or I wish my, wish my, you know, my sister would read this, you know, <laughs> it needs right. to be, we need to look at ourselves. Um, so it says when you get rid of that veil of unbelief, that causes you to stay right where you are. And I mean, you talk about stagnation, this body of the church, we are very stagnant. You know, we're all, we're repeating the same things over and over again, just waiting, waiting, you know, um, waiting for something to happen, waiting for something, somebody to do something, waiting for a phone call that says, Hey, we, we've acquired the temple lot. We're going to start building. You know, I mean, it's been almost 40 years and, and there's been very little movement. In fact, it's been split after split after split after split. And people have lost their hope. People have lost their faith because they didn't have a relationship with God or they had a relationship with God and realized these people that I'm fellowshipping with don't have the same vision that I have that God has given me. And I, I want to worship with others that have the vision, you know? And so we see these splits and we see all this frustration and it's all tied to the, our unbelief, you know, and that, that other, one of the other podcasts that we had said that unbelief was tied to, the vain traditions of our fathers. It causes us to dwindle in unbelief and uh, you know, which is what takes away the spiritual gifts, you know, so it all tie, it all kind of weaves together in a, mm. in a mesh. Um, but yeah, if our it, fathers, if our fathers had misplaced hope and have you know skipped over the process of being one with God and, and gone directly to let's, let's obtain the fruit that we want, you know, the Holy city, mm-hmm. if, if that became their priority, then they're the generation after them, you know, and the one after them continues to dwindle and become farther and farther away from the original purpose God had for bringing forth the book of Mormon. And that was to know him and in, in purity and plainness again, to have relation with him. So that's, right. that's that dwindling. So what, what the book of Mormon often says then, you know, is that come unto Christ, this coming unto Christ is this process of becoming one with him. That's that is coming unto Christ, Christ uh, in us as the Father is in Christ. That's mm-hmm. that coming unto Him and being one, and that's the the simple base foundational message of the Book of Mormon is to right. come unto Christ and be perfected in Him. Don't come don't come unto each other and try to be perfected by by getting along and deciding what you can agree on. Right is welcome to the next thousand years of trying to work that out. Right. Right. Well, and I think that's the whole idea of this idea of being born of God. You know, we, we, we hear born again and all that. And we, we tend to say, Oh, that's the Protestants or whatever. But this idea of being born of God is, is really powerful. Um, You know, that we read a little bit earlier in Alma is that we, we have to be, we have to become a new creature. 
if we haven't become a new, new creature, then we need to go back to the drawing board and find out what we're lacking um, and ask God to clear, you know, to clarify that, that the scripture that we just read in ether, that veil of unbelief, it's what causes us to remain in our wickedness and, and our hardness of heart and blindness of mind um, and not have hope and not have vision. Yeah. And, and then, you know, and because of that and the way, and, and then what I love is in verse 112, he tells us how to start. He says, yea, when you call upon the Father in my name with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, then shall you know that the Father hath remembered the covenant which he made unto your fathers, O house of Israel. And that's what we have to do. We have to go back and we have to say, Lord, we've been wrong. We, we were following the precepts of men. We were trying to fit in with the world. We were, we were keeping our eyes on, on the fruits rather than on what you commanded us to keep our eyes on. And that's the the repentance and the broken heart and the coming to you, you know, and the fruits are just a natural thing. that's going to happen. Um, those things, you know, the, all these other things, all these things we've had our, our eyes on, those are just things that are going to happen on their own. Um, but we've, but we've got to move towards him. Like you said, he's, we're coming into Christ. It's a process and we're planting that seed and that tree will never grow if we don't water it and, you know, nourish it. Wake up saints. Wake up, Mike. Like wake yeah. up, Shane. Come unto me. Be perfected in me. If we if we all would would remember that that we're called to repent and to enter into deeper covenant relationship with Him each day, that's that's going to bear the fruit that we need. And and I wish that that was the the central focal message of all the ministers in these latter days. Was are you getting right with God? Are you knowing Him? Is He living in you? Have you received His countenance, His image in your countenance? You know, have you been changed? Are you being changed? Is your hope growing? You know the, all these things that Alma says in in Alma three. That's the focus. Yeah. I don't know, Jay, if we touched on everything you wanted to. We're we're, we're at an hour, and um, I don't know if we come back and but pick up. Go ahead. Well, I think if I, I think if we mention one more thing, I think we've, I think we've covered it. Unless there's something else you wanted to cover Go ahead. on this topic. Well, so Second Nephi one is is the story of of Lehi. He's about to die, and he's he's begging his sons, his his two wayward sons, to repent, to because you know, it's his last chance to say something to them. And so I, I love what he says, and he, he's telling them to get along with each other. To, you know to have love one toward another you know he's 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 giving them the same message that that we're hearing in the in the church right now that we all need to become you know friends and become one but he clarifies exactly what needs to be done for that to happen and so he said this is in um second nephi 1 starting in verse 36 he says arise from the dust my sons and be men and be determined in one mind and in one heart united in all things that you may not come down into captivity, that you may not be cursed with a sore curse. And of course, he already saw that they're going to be in captivity. You know, he saw the, the and it grieved his soul, um, but he's begging them to repent. And it says, and also that you may not incur the displeasure of a just God upon you under the destruction, yea, the eternal destruction of both soul and body. Awake, my sons, put on the armor of righteousness. You know, we are, we are at war right now. And, you know, we as a as a body of people, as a body of believers, 
should be moving towards Christ and preparing ourselves for what's to come through repentance, through prayer, through study, through fasting, through eliminating these things out of our lives that shouldn't be there and adding in things that need to be there. Um, it's a total distraction to, to just say, well, we need, just need to meet together and let's, you know, let's just put all this stuff aside and let's all come together and, 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 you know, sit on our hands and wait. Um, so he says, awake, my sons, put on the armor of righteousness, shake off the chains with which ye are bound and come forth out of obscurity and arise from the dust. Rebel no more against your brother whose views have been glorious and who hath, hath kept the commandments from, from the time that we left Jerusalem and who hath been an instrument in the hands of God in bringing us forth into the land of promise. Were it not for him, we must have perished with hunger in the wilderness. Nevertheless, ye sought to take away his life. Yea, and he hath suffered much sorrow because of you. And I, exceedingly, and I exceedingly fear and tremble because of you, lest he shall suffer again. For behold, ye have accused him that he sought power and authority over you. But I know that he hath not sought power nor authority over you, but he hath sought the glory of God and your own eternal welfare. And that's, that's what the priesthood should be doing. Mm-hmm seeking the eternal welfare of, of all the people we come in contact with, not having a power and authority and titles and, you know, being leaders of organizations and having coordinating councils and praying on behalf of the saints, you know, going, making trips to, to stand in the, in the, in the, uh, between the porch and the altar and all that, like old Testament, but rather just truly being humble and serving the people uh, and seeking their welfare and ye have and ye have murdered because he hath been plain unto you. Ye say that he hath used sharpness. Ye say that he hath been angry with you. But behold, his sharpness was the sharpness of the power of the word of God, which was in him. And that which ye call anger was the truth, according to that which is in God, which he could not restrain, manifesting boldly concerning your iniquities. And it must needs be that the power of God must be with him, even unto his commanding you that ye must obey. But behold, it was not him, but it was the spirit of the Lord, which was in him, which opened his mouth to utterance that he could not shut it. And I, I guess that's kind of my goal for myself is that I come to the point where my will is so so swallowed up in God's will that that I can speak with authority and with power and not coming from me, but simply because I've I've repented and I'm humble enough that God is using me for whatever he wants to use me for. Um, and I think that if we had, if every single one of us truly believed that had that goal, I don't think we'd be having these discussions that we're having about, you know, forming organizations and, you know, trying to, we're, it was, we're just struggling and we're struggling for no reason. All we have to do is repent and come to God. That's beautiful. That, that verse 51, behold, it was not him. It wasn't Nephi. It was a spirit of the Lord. that was in Nephi, which opened yep. his mouth. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's my takeaway from this week. Pondering was just the the fact that even my closest, you know, best relationship with my spouse, the two becoming one, there's still a barrier there. There's a, there's a wall that will never be crossed, and that I have an opportunity for that kind of relationship with my Creator, that He can be in me and I can experience Him inside of me, and I can never do that with my wife and, and, or, or with humans can't do that with each other. But how cool is that, that we do have opportunity to experience someone else within us and have, 
have that type of intelligence and emotion and, and love inside of us to change us. That is an awesome thing. And how exciting is that? You know, I get tired of Mike Barrett, man. I let's <laughs> be able to experience another inside of me. And it's, it's not just another, but the creator of the whole entire universe that upholds right. it. Right. That is a great mystery that should be meditated and pondered on. And yeah, it's not me. It's the spirit of the Lord in me. That's when great things will happen and multiply that times a thousand saints. And you're on your way to the kingdom of God on earth. Right. Yeah. It doesn't take, it doesn't take very many people being truly humble and one with God to completely change the world, but we're trying to do it under our own power. We're, we're running on a treadmill and we just keep speeding the treadmill up, but we're not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah. Toss that idea of fruit aside and go, go uh, nourish the tree, man. Yeah. Hey, can we read one more scripture? We won't. I just think it'd be a good one to end on. Take it. Take us out with the scripture. Okay, Mosiah 9, starting in 51. And it came to pass that Alma, having authority from God, ordained priests, even one priest to every 50 of their number did he ordain to preach unto them and to teach them concerning the things pertaining to the kingdom. And he commanded them that they should teach nothing, save it were the things which he had taught and which had been spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets. Yea, even he commanded them that they should preach nothing, save it were repentance and faith on the Lord, who had redeemed his people. And he commanded them that there should be no contention one with another, but that they should look forward with one eye, having faith, one faith and one baptism, having their hearts knit together in unity and in love one toward another. And thus he commanded them to preach, and thus they became the children of God. We're just walking each other home. Be kind. Until next time, God bless.